This is The Guardian. and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. A better weekend to be from Manchester than London. Wins for City and United. See Arsenal drop out of the top three while Spurs extend their losing streak to seven games. It's also a good weekend for the Midlands with Leicester moving to within a point of safety. And if your name is Jordan Nobbs, a call up to the England squad, a hat trick for Aston Villa and that puts the cherry on a heavily iced weekend cake. We'll discuss all of that, look ahead to the international break, take your questions and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Hi there, Susie Rack. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. It's just awful, isn't it? Awful. Anne-Marie Batson, lovely to see you. How are you? Lovely to see you. Lovely to see you all. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. And big up the singletons in the house today. Hey, listen, it's also Pancake Day, I do believe. So, I mean, in my world, one takes precedence over the other. I'm with you on that one. Pancakes all day, every day. Isn't it Pancake Day in February? Uh, Oh, it is February. It is February. It is February. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Why did I think that? I think it's today. I might be wrong. I'm sure the rest of you will tell me if I am. Uh, Amy Cripps, you must be wondering what on earth is going on. We don't usually spend this amount of time talking about Valentine's Day and pancakes, but it's your debut. Hello. Hello. I mean, I'm quite happy to talk about pancakes, not so much Valentine's Day. I wished my girlfriend happy Valentine's Day and she said, that's for singletons or people who are newly dating not people who have been together for eight plus years. So that was her response. So Fair enough. And, and I'm just going to burst everybody's bubble who thought that they might be getting pancakes today. Producer Lucy and Jessie have just told me Shrove Tuesday is the 21st. I was right. So, I'm, just... I'm never right. <laughs> I'm going to have pancakes anyway. Every day is pancake day in my house. Uh, right. Let's get into the football, shall we? These rearranged fixtures uh, did not disappoint, did they? Uh, Manchester City. City 2, Arsenal 1. We're starting at the Academy Stadium. Manchester City avenging their Conti Cup semi-final loss to Arsenal. It was a dominant performance. Could have won by so much more as well. First half goals from Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly, putting them in the driving seat and then they weren't threatened despite Raffaele getting a goal back. Uh, Susie, I'm really sorry to start with you on this one, uh, bearing in mind your allegiances, but it was a pretty poor performance from Arsenal. I mean... You'd beaten City midweek. That was quite an even game, I would say. But why did they look so mismatched here? Oh, it was so bad. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong, City were brilliant, I thought. You know, I I think it's very easy to take a look at the Arsenal performance and take a lot away from the City performance. But I thought they were superb. The way they pressed the Arsenal back three was really, like, brutal um, and really exploited the changes that had been made to that team. Um, For me, it was all in the formation the decision to play a back three just, it had half worked in midweek, but then again in midweek looked far more solid when they had switched to a back four and that's when things started to click a little bit more. So then the decision to revert to a back three, but not only that, to change the uh, wing backs for the game just was beyond me. <laughs> I think that was a really, really bizarre decision. I like Noel Moritz, but she really, really struggled against... Lauren Hemp like could not handle her at all and you just saw Leah Williamson get dragged further and further out to the right and that's not where you want Leah Williamson you know she's most effective driving through the middle and helping launch your your attacks from the back and she was pulled wide and unable to ping those balls through the middle like she does or drive through the centre and it just left loads of space in between her and Lotta Wobben Moy. And not only that, Lotta Wobben Moy is then sort of left one-on-one to deal with Chloe Kelly. I think you look at it and Lotta had a, a pretty poor game and probably feel pretty disappointed with her own performance. But she was also left pretty isolated and sort of forced into making mistakes because, you know, particularly you look at the second goal, she's got no one to pass it to. <laughs> she's trying to force it, like squeeze it for a space and isn't really there. And Bunny Shaw pounces and goes through one-on-one. And it's not the smartest of decisions. It's not the smartest of passes. But the options are so limited because of the way they're set up and the way it's 
it sort of worked out positionally for them. So I just thought it was a really, really poor decision. And then only to change it like later in the game at half time when the damage has already been done felt like a big mistake. You know, we were all watching it very early on going, come on, just just change it. Just change to a back four. This is clearly not working within minutes of the game. All those spaces were already being exploited and the pressure was being put on and they were being like, you know, kind of pulled apart and they weren't really reading each other's movements very well, weren't leaving the right balls for each other because when it's a back three, it's a little bit different from a back two. You don't you don't necessarily know which areas your spot responsibility quite so much. And that, yeah, disaster, basically. Absolute disaster. Do you know what I'd love to see? You know how the referees are all mic'd up and the coaches and everything and they can talk to each other? I'd love it if Susie Rack was mic'd up in the stands, writing her report going, change it, change it. This is a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a running joke that that no one wants to sit next to me in the press box uh, for, for big Arsenal games. Can I just say also, my dad watched the match as well. He watches a lot of Arsenal women and the word he used was shambles when I spoke to him on the phone on Sunday. So, uh, and I, you know, I trust every word that my dad says when it comes to football because he knows a lot about it. So, uh, yeah, that's how he described it, a shambles. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit of an oracle, I would say. Uh, As as much as they defensively struggled, Anne-Marie, there was also an issue in attack as well. and, And they actually haven't scored a single WSL goal from open play in 2023. We're six weeks in, that's a bit of a problem. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And I, I, I don't know how it's going to be solved. The season is now coming to that point. It's coming to that pinch point now where every single game means you've got to win to secure your place. Wherever your targets are going to be for the season, you've got to start doing it now. Otherwise, it's going to get away from you. And that's a massive issue. And I just don't know how they're going to be able to, to solve it with the limited time that they have. I don't know. I when I was watching the game, I was just like, I was like Susie really just getting really frustrated, just thinking like the exact words I that Susie was using, like, please just change it, do something, do something. And of course half time comes and I think Leah Walty made a kind of a bit of a difference in that second half, just being that extra body in the midfield, but the damage was already done in the first half. Yeah, it certainly was. Amy, Manchester City though, feel like a really different team to the one we've discussed on this pod previously that front three in particular seemed to be really clicking and they pressed Arsenal within an inch of their lives would you say it was perhaps their best performance of the season so far I think so and to do it you know within a couple of days after suffering a midweek defeat to the same team I mean like that mentality is perhaps a mentality that we've not seen from City for a while or arguably since Definitely not the beginning of the season. I mean, it's really difficult for me, just like it is Susie, because I am a Maguna as well. So watching that game, like my heart was... You're everywhere. I know. I'm sorry. We are everywhere. I know. I know. But it's just, um, it was shambolic. And I don't know whether this is just like a Guna attitude, but I am a bit of a defeatist. And like when that game started, I just thought they've got something to prove. Like both of us would rather have won that game at the weekend than that midweek fixture. In honest, like honest opinion, I honestly think that if you ask every Arsenal fan, they would have rather have won that WSL matchup because it's so tight this season. And we know if you lose a game, if you drop a point, that's it, you're out of the title race. And to not be in top three, I don't think I'm over it still, to, to be honest. But like credit where it's due, like City, they've really, really bounced back. Like Khadija Banishore has been unbelievable and just like seeing her pounce on Lotta and Chloe Kelly just take it and drive it into the back of the net I just thought oh wow like this attacking threat we just don't have it at the moment you know and I'm not I'm not quite sure what we can do moving forward in terms of attacking players like we didn't sign anyone in January I think that's dented Jonas I think that's really affected the team and as fans we're a bit like well why didn't we I think the big kind of media and hoo-ha around Russo not coming to the club has affected the team arguably as well so yeah I'm a bit bit at a loss at the minute but City they're looking dangerous. Yeah they they really are and actually I think we need to give Gareth Taylor some some credit Susie because certainly he got plenty of criticism at the start of the season. What do you think Manchester City can do this season because it feels like they're back in the mix at least for the Champions League spots. But actually, Lauren Hemp was saying they've got their eyes on the title. 
yeah, and you can see why. They've got the like the bit between their teeth. They're full of confidence. Um, Chloe Kelly has come back into form at exactly the right time. Like she's you know admitted that she struggled after, well, during the Euros and after the Euros, like still recovering from her ACL injury. You know, like it's it's taken her time before she sort of found her form. They've got to play Chelsea at home, Arsenal away. And United away. It's not an easy uh, set of fixtures, but like you know, the idea of them being able to go for the title is is there. <laughs> There's no reason why they can't. Do I think we give Gareth Taylor credit? I mean, to a certain extent, yes. I still am not convinced in him, um, like personally. But you know, I think the quality is there in the City squad for them to be pushing and challenging for the title and for Champions League. And I think. As I said last week, the injuries to Arsenal in Beth Mead and Viviana Miedema easily put them as favourites for missing out on on the top three. One person for me who I felt was player of the match in terms of Manchester City, I know Chloe Kelly had a stellar, but Yui Hasegawa has, was immense yeah. for me. I mm. never stopped. She was running. I think she must have covered the entire pitch several times over. I think she's made a massive change to that midfield. And I would say she's probably been key to the resurgence of City over the last few weeks. 100%. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually, Anne-Marie. And, and when we go back to Arsenal and, and talking about their title race, when we look at Manchester City perhaps pushing into that and players coming into form, as you said, Arsenal are five points off Chelsea now. And it's really easy Amy, to point to the absences of Beth Mead and Viv Miedemar as, as obviously having an impact on their season. But should they be doing better with the players that they have? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've spoken about, you know, well, Susie spoke brilliantly about our formation and our defensive play. Didn't we have something like 16 clean sheets on 21 WSL away games? Like that's, that's crazy. And then to go from that, to this like we should be playing better the quality of players that we have Caitlin Ford, Sina Blackstenius, Katie McCabe, Leah Volti, Leah Williamson you know Manuela Zinsberg has been phenomenal for us we should be performing we are not only top in terms of players that we have on the pitch but we have something that Mark Skinner spoke about at the weekend with United and what that club is trying to build we have a history of winning and that does make a difference. That creates a culture and it's sewn into the fabric of your club and the mentality. Those players will be so disappointed with how they've performed at the weekend. And they will look inwards and they will look at themselves and think, what can I do better? So, yeah, like we do have what it takes. Um, <laughs> I'm not too sure we've got what it takes to win the title. Um, I'm not as confident as I was maybe a month or so ago. But we we should not be going into next season without Champions League football. Well, you might be, I'm afraid, when you look at... Don't at, say it! Don't got, say it! Sorry. <laughs> you've, got, you've got Bayern Munich in the Champions League. So that's that's your route at the minute. Is there a real danger, Anne-Marie, of, of Arsenal actually finishing fourth this season? Yeah, I think the alarm bells are ringing. I think the alarm bells are ringing. The only way, I think, they're not going to win the title. And I think that's pretty obvious now. They're still in with the chance of lifting up a trophy with the Conte Cup, of course. And of course, they've got the UEFA Women's Champions League as well. Them potentially winning that, I don't see it, not on the strength of that squad. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a lot of meetings and WhatsApp messages flying around on Monday morning going, what on earth is going on? And asking those questions. And I know, you know, Faye, you mentioned about the loss of, of Beth Mead and Viviane Miedemar. I think it's bigger than we anticipated. I think before Arsenal have managed to coat over when they've had injuries, like when Leah Volti went out for a period of time and Jordan Knowles went out for a period of time, they've managed to work around it. I think they're struggling without them. And I think this is this is pretty big for them. And I think we've underestimated how big it is and they're running out of time to figure it out. And I think it's now trying to just doing the season the best that they can. Of course, I'd love to see them in the top three. I'd love to see them back in, you know, hopefully competing for the Champions League next season but it looks very off it right now and even on the strength of this current squad I'll be worried about that so I think it's it's just doing the best that you can keeping the pressure up on the cities and the Chelsea's and the United this world and see and then reviewing at the end of the season 
do you know what as much as I hate it isn't this just a huge testament to the development of this league and how competitive it's become you know year after year we've been able to say Chelsea are going to win Arsenal are going to win City are going to get top three like to now be in a point where we're not only fighting for that top spot but we're fighting for Champions League football and if we look at that middle table as well Aston Villa Carla Ward she deserves her flowers to be honest like what she's built at that club is amazing but to now have this standard of football in England. This is what I live for. I'm here for it. <laughs> we, we all are. It's why we exist. Hallelujah. I know. It's our lat and pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to wait another week, I'm afraid, uh, if we're going with convention. Um, elsewhere at the top of the table, Manchester United managed to hold on against Spurs despite being reduced to 10 players after Ella Toon was given a straight red for her shove on Evelina Sumanen. Leah Galton had given United the lead before Beth England scored a spectacular solo goal. But less than a minute later, one of those Head in your hands moments. Molly Bartrip turning Garcia's cross into her own net, and we will discuss that shortly. And Amy mentioned the competitiveness of this league. We were writing Manchester United off after a couple of draws the other week, but a bit like Chelsea, Susie, they've not necessarily looked great recently, but they are getting the results. How much does that show this the, the mentality that they've got to push Chelsea all the way? Oh yeah, and, and like they've got the advantage of not having Champions League football as well, which I think is huge. You know, that's like a really intense run of fixtures for Chelsea with Leon um, and Arsenal with Bayern Munich that Man United don't have to worry about for now. So there's a real opportunity there and I think they can sense it. Ella Toon's red card, big, big loss for the next three games uh, for them, especially when they've barely rotated their starting lineup. So, you know, you've got quality and Vilda Barisa coming in potentially into that spot but she's not played um, much football at all this season so you've not you've not really kind of built her up ready to step in uh, in my mind although you know it's good that the United fans have been desperate to see things mixed up a little bit finally get it enforced I suppose in a way but um, yeah huge huge loss particularly for their game against Chelsea solid win given that they've not been playing their best. And I thought Leah Gorton was absolutely superb. And, you know, every time I watch her lately, I'm just thinking, I know I know she's chosen not to not to be in contention for England. Like, I know that's her choice. Um, and, you know, it's to protect her own mental health and that kind of thing. But you do wonder, you know, is, is there a point at which she's going to consider coming back into the mix? Because you just, you know, imagine her pushing... Chloe Kelly and Lauren Hemp for a starting place on the wings for England and, and the depth that she would provide as well would be really, really exciting. Um, so that's all I can think about when I watch Man United of late. Yeah, she's tenacious, isn't she? That's for sure. Let, let's talk about Ella Toon's red card though, Anne-Marie, because as Susie mentioned, they're likely to miss United's away match against Chelsea in, in March. It was a real loss of control that was... Not like Elatoon, I, I felt, but it could be decisive for United. It's absolutely decisive. And this is going to be a big lesson. It's a big lesson for the team and it's a big lesson for the club to do that. On the 80th minute, knowing that you needed to win this match, you're up against uh, you know, Tottenham, who were really anticipating this game. You know you've, you're going to be facing Beth England. You've got that front forward, that Russo, Toon, Paris and Galton lineup. So it was going to be a feisty encounter anyway. And I know Mark Skinner is looking out to protect his player, saying that, you know, the Spurs player was a little bit of play acting, but it happened right in front of the ref. And the one thing you can't do is put your hands on another player and credit to Ella Toon. She has tweeted since that, you know, she holds her hands up and it's going to be a big lesson. And it's a lesson now for United to learn how to manage the situation. Bear in mind, they've never been in this position before. They've never been in the, in the position of potentially winning the league and booking themselves in the Champions League as well. So there'd have been a lot riding on this, on this match, a lot of pressure. And I think it just blew up. I, I'm really surprised by Ella Toon. But like I said, I think it's it's a big lesson for her, one for her to go away and think about. And now it's a real test for Mark Skinner to find out how he, as Susie's mentioned, the United fans have been calling for rotation. It is a forced rotation. Let's see how he can manage this. But, you know, Ella Toon, she's a big, big loss. I love her as a player. I love her feistiness. I just don't want her seeing shoving players. I would also say maybe a the wrong choice of words when you're apologising. Pride myself on the passion and love I have playing for this club. Hold my hands up for my reaction and I'll learn for it. No, that's what got you in trouble in the first place. Don't hold them up again. (laughs) 
Really interesting, actually, you mentioned the rotation because there's a question uh, from Natalie. Was the difference between the Spurs game this week and last week's draw with Everton the fact that Mark Skinner brought on more different players to impact the game? I think that does make an impact. I think it was the main thing that did it. I'm not too sure, um, to be honest. I am gutted about Elatoon, but I am really looking forward to see what changes, like we speak about Builder, what changes Mark makes moving forward. And perhaps that might also inform what we might have said now. Um, so a bit of a cop-out answer. But yeah, no, I, I, think there, I think there was an impact. I think it was a big enough one compared to week before. I'm not too sure. I think Everton was so resilient in that game. Um, I was really impressed with their performance and that shouldn't shouldn't go out and miss either. But without Ella Toon, I think, because I, I hear what you're saying, I agree with you, Amy. I think the loss of Ella Toon is that pace that they've had in the midfield. And I wonder how they're going to be able to replicate that. The fact that, you know, she runs like the clappers. So I just don't know how they can replace that. And I think the three games they've got coming up and, and Chelsea's not far away, I think that's going to be a, a bit of a concern. I hope, for, you know, Vilda can step in, but you're not going to get another tune in that place. She's unique in that respect. And I think that would be my question mark. And someone with those connections with the players around her as well, when you've not rotated at all, really, like you're starting 11, like expecting a player to come in and have the sort of telepathic relationship that she has with with Leah Galton, with Alessia Russo, with the players behind her, it's just not, it's not going to be the same, right? Like there's no way that someone can build those up that, that quickly. Even, you know, obviously they play with each other and against each other in training and stuff, but you can't, you can't replicate that in-match pressure, you know, the lack of the coaching staff telling what you ought to do and that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's a completely different environment. And I think that's that's a big one is that whoever comes in is not going to have the same level of like telepathy between themselves and the players around them that, that Ella Toon has. That's, that's huge, massive blow. Amy, it's the seventh consecutive loss in the WSL for Spurs. They haven't won since October, which was that crazy 8-0 over Brighton. It feels really strange saying this out loud, but, you know, when you look at the table and the numbers, they don't lie. Do they need to start kind of looking at who's below them at the moment? A bit nervously, perhaps? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, what is it, three points that separates them from relegation at the moment. I think that's right. And to have seven consecutive losses on the bounce, that's, I mean, you can't be doing that in any league, let alone the WSL, where it can come back to seriously bite you. And it's the difference between playing top flight football or going back down to the championship. Yeah, I think, you know, Rianne Skinner will be, should be worried. She made some really, really good January signings. We've got Manorio Gucci, who can seriously pull the strings in midfield. They've got a striker. They've got a finisher now in Beth England. And, you know, Three goals in three games, although she's the first player to score three consecutive goals and lose all three games. That's not, I mean, that's a paradox if ever I've heard one, to be honest. But they have someone who can finish and they have someone who is willing to go hell for leather to get a goal, wants to make a statement, wants to be back in that England squad. Just as we've, we've spoken this morning about key players, you lose Ella Toon, you lose Beth Mead, you lose Vivian Miedema, what happens to the squad. But when you do have them, you can see things change drastically. Am I worried about the pressure that that might put on Beth a little bit? Do I think that she can carry that pressure? I think so. I think she's more than willing to. I think she's willing to prove her worth. But yeah, if I was a if I was a Spurs fan, thankfully I'm not. Um, I would be very worried at this moment in time. Yeah, you were right. Three points. It's very, very tight at, at the bottom, which, as you said at the beginning, Amy, is exciting for the league. Uh, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll look at who might be catching up with Spurs before previewing the Arnold Clark Cup. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Uh, so we've discussed the top of the table. Let's look at the bottom, shall we? Is the great escape on for Leicester, Susie Rack? A Hannah Kane goal, giving them a 1-0 win over Liverpool, puts them just a point behind Reading and they have a game in hand as well. Is it on? 100%. 100%. Willie Kirk is going to pull off one of the greatest escapes in WSL history. WSL history isn't that long, but still, um, uh, no, I like it's, um, yeah, their turnaround has been fantastic. Having Hannah Kane back, um, I thought her goal was sublime, really nicely well worked, clearly something they practiced. 
and yeah, really impressive, <laughs> impressive win. You know, they've still got to play Reading. They've still got to play Liverpool. They've still got to play Brighton. There's there's chances for them to get more points on the board. They look far more organised. I think Willie Kirk said after the game that you can take a lot from grinding out a result from not necessarily the best performance and, you know, how important that can be. And that's what they did, right? Like it was, you know, Liverpool were arguably the better side in that game. Leicester walk away with the three points. And I think that is, yeah, huge for the mentality of the side in the way that the way the Willie Kirk described, they've got a couple of tough games up next. They've got Man United and then they've got Everton and then they've got Villa. You know, they're three difficult fixtures in the context of the league this season. But in terms of like them being able to claw up, I think all of the teams above them are suddenly looking over their shoulders, very, very worried. Whereas previously they were thinking, it's okay, we've got <laughs> we've got the Leicester cushion um, and uh, and it's very, very different now. But yeah, they I, they just look like they're playing for each other, playing for the manager, fighting in a way that, you know, I think, I think they believe they can do it, which is the big difference. You know, I think they perhaps uh, had their heads drop a little bit and it all seemed a little bit inevitable, but I think they genuinely believe that they can do it now and I think that really matters for something. Yeah, they play Brighton on the 2nd of April, I think it is. And, you know, as you say, Brighton as well. And Anne-Marie, there were worries for uh, for Brighton. They were thumped 6-2 by Aston Villa. Goals from Yulia Zigiotti, Olmer and Danielle Carter. Couldn't dent a Jordan Nobbs hat-trick with Rachel Daly, Lucy Staniforth and Kirsty Hansen also on the score sheet as well. What did you make of this game and what do you think of Brighton's chances of staying in the league? So Aston Villa pretty much were, they were ruthless. They just prized open the Brighton defence and then some, they really went for it. And when you've got the mixture of youth and experience in that Aston Villa team, the likes of, you know, Jordan Nobbs and Rachel Daly and Lucy Staniforth and Kirsty Hansen, my goodness, I'd be slightly worried if I'd see those names on the team sheets in the opposition. There's some serious quality in that team. And, and for Brighton, I mean, I think they made the right call in terms of who they've appointed, you know, in terms of, with you know, Hope Powell moving on, they needed someone to just come in and freshen things up a little bit. And Jensha, formerly of Bayern Munich, of course, of that parish, comes with a lot of experience. So they're going through, and that's that word, isn't it? That transition period at the moment. It just, just for me at the moment, like I think Amy and Susie made the points earlier in the first half of this podcast. It's if you haven't got a lot of time and you need to win and you need to get draws, you cannot afford to lose too many games in the WSL. And this is a big loss for Brighton because they'll be looking nervously around them. Defensively, they were just all over the shop against Villa. Once one goal goes in, then another and another, the heads start to drop, the shoulders start to drop, and that's exactly what happened in that game. And for me, as I said on a, on this podcast before, Carl Award for me, if she's not nominated as you know coach of the year, I will rage on social media because I think she's done a brilliant job a brilliant job and I'm it's so exciting to see Villa as well considering where they were a little while ago to where they are now they've just simply transformed and I think Brighton may watch look at them and go why can't we play like that all I could think when I was watching that game is if you're Jonas Eideval watching Jordan Nobbs score a hat-trick and also you know Manu Iwabuchi's performance for uh, for Tottenham and the way she set up Beth England for that goal you're seriously wondering about what decisions you've made in January um, in terms of, you know, looking to the future and bringing in some players with some great, great talent, but sending out some players who can and have the have the ability to get you goals in big moments. Yeah, I, I would be seriously questioning myself. Although that said, whether, whether you would have seen Jordan banging in the goals for Arsenal in the way she is for Villa with the freedom she is given that she's not played and now she's playing regular football is another thing. But similarly for Man United, I mean, you know, you've got Ella Toon out and you've got Kirsty Hansen putting in performances of a lifetime in a Villa shirt and you just think, come on, <laughs> wake up to some of the talent that you've got in these squads that is, is just being slightly wasted, really disappointingly. Mm, wasted is the is the perfect word. Amy, going back to the relegation battle, how many teams do you actually think could be battling it out 
come the end of the season and who is going to go down, which is a tough question to ask. And I'll just give you a bit of context to this pod. We like to get predictions very badly wrong. So even if you say (laughs) who you think it is, (laughs) don't worry. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, I am still worried about Brighton. I am. I think there are glimmers of hope. Like Amaria said, they're in that weird honeymoon transition period, but I am worried about them. Um, so I'm, I'm going to put Brighton in there. I really, really hope that Willie Kirk does pull off the biggest comeback in WSL history, um, as Susie put it earlier, regardless of how short that history is. I do hope that he does that. But the two that I think that will be battling it out, I think it will be Brighton and I think it will be Leicester. Um, who do I think will get relegated of the two? I'm going to go with Brighton. I'm going to do it. And come May, you're going to turn around and be like, Amy, you're absolutely wrong. And that'll be great because I do really like Brighton. Um, So it's a bit of a win-win for me there. I get a ridiculous prediction, but I also get the team I want to stay in the WSL. Wow. No one's mentioned Reading. I was going to say, yeah, Reading for me. I think Reading are in real trouble, Faye. I really do. And I think it's this has been building for some time. This isn't just about this season. This has been about the last couple of seasons with Reading. They're not the team that they were. I thought, you know, when I st- first started watching women's football and Reading were really up there trying to break into the top two, if you like, being around, you know, between positions like four to six. And they've, they've just tailed away over the last few years. And I think this is now coming to a pinch point with Reading. I think the battle for me... I think Leicester will remain up, but I think Reading will be the ones that will go down. I'm looking at Reading, but we look, I feel like we look at Reading every season. And even at the start of this season, we're saying, you know, they're one of the favourites for the drop um, after a really poor start. And Kelly Chambers just has an ability to claw some results out of nowhere uh, when you least expect it. And suddenly they're safe and dry. And I feel like every season we're waiting for her miracle against the odds with, you know, the Reading team, not, you know, hugely supported financially and things like that. Um, but she's been able to pull off miracle after miracle. And we're sort of waiting for the point at which they're no longer, she's no longer able to compensate for the lack of investment in the squads and the, the support staff and all of those kind of things. And maybe, maybe we're reaching that moment after me saying earlier in the season that that moment had passed and she had already clawed them out of it. So uh, I feel like we're constantly on the edge of that, on the edge of waiting for that moment to happen and then it comes uh, or it doesn't. Um, and more often than not, it doesn't. And she is able to hold them up and and sort of stem uh, stem the inevitable for another season. But maybe this is the one. I was going to say that that was a very fence city splinters kind of answer, <laughs> Susie, which you don't usually give, but I know why you gave it. Um, but it's going to be fascinating. And actually, we'll come back to, to this pod at the end of the season and we'll see how we did in terms of, of predictions. No one wants to see anybody go out of the league because it's tough to get back up again. But um, we shall see. Right. Before we get on to the international break and the Arnold Clark Cup, we need to touch on the draw for the Women's Champions League. We briefly mentioned it earlier. Chelsea have drawn holders Leon, while Arsenal face Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals. If Chelsea were to progress, they would meet Barcelona or Roma in the semifinals. Arsenal could face Wolfsburg or PSG. Uh, neither English team got that dream draw of Roma. Can you actually believe that Barcelona got the dream draw of, of Roma? You couldn't write it. How hopeful, though, are you that we will have some English representation in the semi-finals? Not very. <laughs> I mean, in a, in a way, from a really selfish point of view, given that I'm going to miss the second leg of the semi-finals for my mother-in-law's 60th birthday at Don't be bitter, Susie. Um, I, 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 you know... If no English team makes the semi-finals, would I be devastated? Maybe not, even as an Arsenal fan. No, I think uh, wow. no, that. I know. I uh, I lie. Um, no, I. I but I, it's just the toughest draws they could possibly be. Basically, Arsenal. I mean, you look at the, oh, the run of fixtures around that first buy-in game is absolutely horrific. I think it's um, two of their title rivals around that Bayern second leg they've got Bayern on the 29th of March at home then City at home on the 2nd of April and then after the international break they come straight back and they've got Man United away I mean that like is incredibly difficult the first leg comes just before they've got to play Tottenham as well so it's it's uh, it's 
it's a big, big ask. And yeah, Chelsea against Le- Leon, obviously finishing second in the group behind Arsenal. Arsenal delivering that 5-1 defeat away was huge. But it's uh, it's a different Leon side. They've got a lot of the players that were missing coming back from injury. And Chelsea have not necessarily been playing their best football. I just, I yeah, I fear for them both. It's going to be interesting, Anne-Marie, isn't it? Because what does success actually look like for Chelsea this year? Because in some ways, losing to Lyon shouldn't be an embarrassment, but also not making it past the quarterfinals feels like it would be. They've got to get past the quarterfinals. They've got to win it. That's all that, that Chelsea are going to be focusing on. They want to lift that trophy. And, you know, Susie mentioned there about in Chelsea, in terms of how they've been playing over the last few weeks, they are conceding goals. You know, the last four matches or so they've been conceding, apart from that route against West Ham, they are letting in goals. And I think that's going to be a big concern for Emma Hayes going into the UEFA Women's Champions League. So nothing will be anything for them unless they get to the final. I think they can take some hope from the fact that, you know, Arsenal did beat Lyon, but Susie made that fantastic point that Lyon have got players coming back. They are the holders. That gives them that extra fire, the passion, the desire, the commitment to, you know, to be the defending champions already. Do you know what? When that draw came out, I just lifted my eyes up to the sky. I went, no, <laughs> I couldn't believe it for both the English sides. I thought the, the football gods were not looking unfavourably on us for English football. I could not believe that Barcelona have ended up with Roma. No disrespect to Roma, but we wanted you to play against one of our English sides and we haven't got it. So, you know, the players, either for Arsenal or Chelsea, they're going to relish this regardless because it's the Champions League. But for us supporters, it's going to be, you know, hiding behind the cushions moment, I think. Can I just say, like, having mentioned my defeatist attitude as an Arsenal fan in the first half of this pod and then listen to Susie run through all of those fixtures and Anne-Marie also kind of paint this really grey picture, I am not confident. I mean, I wasn't confident anyway. Like, Bayern Munich, a formidable, really strong side against an Arsenal team that are dithering and really weak at the back and they can't finish a sentence let alone score a goal like my hopes were fairly low anyway Barca Jammy Roma will relish that they're playing at Olympico that'll be great first time they played there that'll be a really great moment another one for the Women's Champions League history books looking forward to that do you know I was we talk about this we've got quite a few Chelsea fans in the office at Versus one of them Maya who's been on this pod and I think you know, I agree with Anne-Marie. They've got to get past the final stage. I'm going to say that they're... I think they're going to... I'm not going to say it. I'm, you're all looking at me. I think they can win it. I do. I think they can. Um, and I think a big part of that is that Emma Hayes wants it so bad. Like, she wants it so badly. And so does the rest of that team. And, you know, there's been rumours of Vanilla Harder and Magdalena Eriksson potentially leaving at the end of the season. Their contracts are running out. And um, we've got players in that squad of potentially coming towards the end of their playing career. It's like, is this the last moment before the band disbands? Um, is this like our busted a bit like, before it comes busted? Like, is this is like, is this the moment that we've been waiting for in Chelsea? <laughs> um, so I, I really wouldn't write them off. Like, yeah, of course they've got Leon, but they, they'll put out a dogged performance. I really do believe that. And that pains me to say as an Arsenal fan, like giving Chelsea that much praise. But I think they are, I think they're going to go for it. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. You're right, Emma Hayes desperately, desperately wants it. And who needs to see another Mook busted? Not me. So England head off to the international break looking to defend their Arnold Clark Cup crown. Games against Belgium, Italy and South Korea coming up. Susie, what's uh, Serena Wiegmann going to be looking for over this fixtures? It feels like a very different Arnold Clark Cup to the one last year. Yeah, I mean, it's not the level of team of you know Germany and Spain um, and I can't remember the third team they played last year but it's not the same um, Canada there we go Canada Bev Priestman's Canada you know Italy Belgium and South Korea do not offer that same level of test but they're three decent teams and it's a real opportunity for her to get a look, I hope, at some of the players that don't necessarily feature as often as they might. I was really excited to see Man United's Everton loaned goalkeeper Emily Ramsey be called up 
uh, to the senior side for the first time. I don't think she's going to see any football, but um, like it's it's really good to see a player who has been playing her socks off, being one of the best uh, goalkeepers in the league this season, kind of be rewarded um, and brought into that environment at a time when you know the sort of who is who is number two behind Mary Earps, I think is really up for grabs at the moment. So that's quite exciting. You know, there's a real opportunity to see players like Maya Letizia in the side for the first time. It's great that Jordan Nobbs has got a late call up and is back in the side and, you know, after scoring the uh, the incredible hat-trick. I just hope we see some of the, the sort of more fringe players in this tournament. I'd like to see Lauren James. I'd like to see Ebony Salmon. I'd like to see Laura Coombs. You know, I'd like to see some of those players get their chance. Yeah, I think this might be uh, a tournament to see like real like youth development, not just in England. Like, yeah, I, I think Lauren James will absolutely sure ball out. Like, this will be her opportunity. Like, she's fully fit for the first time in kind of two seasons or so, and I think that we'll see her just drop an absolute madness. Um, but in terms of like Italy, they've got their there's teenage midfielder Emma Severini. Belgium have got uh, Hannah Erlings. Italy, I, I always pronounce her name wrong. She's not that young anymore, but I remember her during the 2019 Women's World Cup when she was like 21 at the time, Manuela Grigliano. So I think we not just have an opportunity to see kind of youth players put on a showcase for England um, and demonstrate like the future of football in that respect, but we see it from other players as well in other nations. And we've also we've also got the likes, like Susie said, we've got Jordan Nobbs. Um, so players who perhaps haven't been given a chance in a national team shirt for a while. And it'd be great to see Jisoo Young back on English soil. I'm really looking forward to seeing her play and just kind of being the incredible representative that she is for Korean and Asian women's football. Um, so I'm I'm quite excited about seeing those younger players and also the return of some of the players who we love in the women's game. Yeah, I think the difference between this Arnold Clark Cup and last Arnold Clark Cup is Serena Wiegmann was six months into her tenure last time round and was still like trying to find her starting eleven um, and work that out. And now she knows who the starters are. She knows who she played at the Euro. She knows exactly, you know, everyone who was in that squad in the summer. She knows whether they are in or out of her team, probably to a large extent, as long as they're fit and playing well for the World Cup so it's about the players that are going to fit into the places that have been left by the departing Jill Scotts and Ellen Whites and or you know the Beth Mead injury whether she is going to be able to get back or not who are the contenders to fill that spot so I think you as a manager are probably starting to look at the fringe rather than the than the core that you know now a year and a half into the job compared to being, you know, six months in with a major tournament sort of straight ahead. So what does that mean then for Beth England? Does that mean then that that's... Because that was the one for me, I thought, because she's been doing so well at Spurs. And the reason, one of the reasons, I'm speculating, of course, because I don't actually know this officially, she moved on because she obviously she wanted more game time, yes. And to get, you know, featured back more in the England team. So what does that mean, Susie, for her... If we're thinking now that Serena Wigman's pretty much got an idea of what her team is going to look like for the World Cup, is is it over now for Beth England? Has she still got a chance? Oh, no, I don't think it's over. Um, Serena said it herself. Like she said, you know, because obviously Jordan Nobbs wasn't in, Lucy Sanaforth wasn't in uh, in the original squad. You know, she said, oh, it's, it, it's great they've made these moves. It's a little bit early for us to be able to say that they, you know, have played enough football for us to be able to say that they're worthy of a call-up almost. I think we'll see them in April. Um, I think we'll see them in that April camp. I mean, you know, she knows who Beth England is. She knows that she can play. Um, I think she's waiting to watch what they do at club level. I mean, for me, Beth has played her way into the squad for me. Like, And I thought that would happen. You know, I've been banging the drum for her to join a team like Spurs for a while because she is such a confidence player, um, needs game time, needs minutes and will score. And she's doing that now. And you can just see it. You can, you know, you can see when she's got the ball of her, her feet that she genuinely, you know, she believes she's going to do something special with it. Whereas I think there was, uh, there were times where she was playing, you know, coming off the bench or um, stepping in uh, Chelsea, having not played much where she did not look confident and I think that's the real shift in her. And I, you yeah, know, I don't think it's over. I think we'll see. I think we'll see her in the April camp for sure, as long as you know nothing too drastic happens to her. I think, in a way, it's quite good for someone like her to get a little break over uh, this international period and do a little bit of work 
in a team that she's you know just arrived in and yeah kind of get a little bit more work in on those connections at Spurs whilst this international break is going on and then hopefully hopefully getting in April. And if anything, Serena Wiegmann has, has shown that her door is always open, hasn't she? And I think that's really important. And she did allude, actually, when I spoke to her last week, to the fact that this will be a kind of tinkering tournament in a way and looking at the more fringe players and, you know, calling people like Laura Coombs into the England squad. The last time she put an England shirt on was 2015. Phil Neville had called her up in 2020. Um, she's going to hope to get some game time after a fantastic uh, season for Manchester City. Moving on elsewhere and, and potentially quite important leading into the Women's World Cup as well. The She Believes Cup is taking place over in the States at the same time that the Arnold Clark Cup takes place here. And the Canadian women's national team have raised concerns about Canada soccer, not for the first time, but this is this is much bigger. They sat out training on Saturday, threatened to boycott the She Believes Cup, all because of financial mismanagement and continuing gender disparities between the men's and women's teams. But Canada Soccer warned of legal action, so the players have had to return to training and they will actually play in the She Believes Cup. This is what their captain, Christine Sinclair, said. To be clear, we're being forced back to work for the short time. This isn't over. We'll continue to fight for everything we deserve and we will win. The She Believes is actually being played in protest. Look, there's been long-standing tension, Susie, hasn't there, between Canada Soccer and the women's team? Yes, I'm absolutely disgusted by this whole situation, to be honest. I mean, the idea that they have no right to strike and they're being forced to play and threatened with um, legal action to force them back to the pitch and threatened with legal action to, you know, kind of claim damages off them if they don't play is outrageous. <laughs> this is a Olympic winning team, right, who have really done that against the odds. They don't have a professional league, although there is one being set up in the sort of near to mid future. And have really overachieved <laughs> for the support that has gone into the side. Have clearly asked for a little bit more from the table and have been like have been stamped on, like brutally stamped on in um, you know, kind of like bucking the the trend internationally of investment and support at a time when women's football is growing exponentially and money is pouring in and there's real opportunity for it to to start making money as well, as, well as just being a, a loss loss making business and yeah i just you know the idea that the 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 one little bit of power that that anyone has in any industry um the right to strike and withdraw your labor in protest at your your conditions your pay whatever it may be is being clamped down on legally just outrageous I just, I just I'm so angry for them and I really really hope that the other teams obviously particularly the US Women's National Team on home soil really show them a bit of support in these games and uh, you know obviously they, they play very closely together a lot of the players in the NWSL and really stand shoulder to shoulder with them I'm just I'm staggered that they're being forced to play these games in the way that they are and uh, yeah just absolutely fuming for them and I think the whole of women's football should be up in arms and really putting pressure on Canada soccer to step up to the plate for me Canada soccer clearly needs a complete overhaul they just don't get it and like a lot of heads need to roll within that organization for me for the way these players have been treated yeah, absolutely. Very well said, Susie. Uh, Amy, we've seen more and more players using their platforms to call for, for better conditions. And, and as Susie said, hopefully the US national team will, will do something around this tournament. But sometimes it feels as if, you know, it's still an uphill battle and they're not actually getting very far. Yeah, and you can understand why that might discourage some players, some teams from not taking a stand. I mean, the fact that they're human rights their basic work rights are being completely thrown out the window like Susie said it is more than disrespectful it's disgusting the Canada Soccer Federation does need a serious overhaul we saw before the Men's World Cup the men protest in terms of pay in regards to the prize pot so it's an organization that is just poorly run just doesn't get it and from a women's football point of view this is really really sad uh, this day and age to see the likes of Christine Sinclair, you know, 
holds the record for international goals in the men's and women's game, having to come out and say, I'm really sorry, but we can't do this because we cannot afford the risk. Like it blows my mind. I think what's also really important to highlight is that this isn't just a a pay equity question. I think a lot of people look at situations like this and they think, well, if they're talking about money, they don't bring in the same amount of money. They don't create the same revenue. I mean, we can have like a basic economics class in terms of like speculate to accumulate, but we'll let those individuals sort that out for themselves. I think, you know, they not only cut camp days, they cut total camps. They had to reduce the number of staff and players attending those camps, which drastically affects the development of that squad. They've seen youth team activities and provision cut even further and they were already fairly limited. It seems that they just don't have any concept of what the future of Canadian football ought to be or look like. Like this, Susie said that this is an Olympic winning squad. They have so much potential and they have done incredibly well with what limitations they have or within the limitations that they have or they've been placed if they were properly supported and invested in and the infrastructure was there and the individuals are there to kind of support and guide this team let's call them what they are they could potentially be world cup contenders it blows my mind I think I'm fairly confident, especially in the US women's national team, that they will, well, Alex Morgan has already come out and backed the Canadian women's soccer team. They have her full support. I think we will see that team rally around their Northern American compatriots. I think we will. I think we'll see more be said next week. And I think we have a responsibility like we're doing now to talk about these issues. So this isn't just a Canadian soccer problem. This is a global issue that needs to be spoken about as much as possible. They have our full support. I just really hope that it gets resolved and that federation gets a complete overhaul. Yeah, it's absolutely needed and vital leading into the the Women's World Cup. And I'm sure it's not the the last time that we'll talk about it, unfortunately. Uh, Right. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. I'm off to make (laughs) some pancakes. Lovely to chat. Uh, We'll be back at the start of March after the international break and the FA Cup fifth round. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Sal Ahmed. This is The Guardian.